Hey, Courtney. Hey, Ashley. Do you love hearing about true crime and history and other fun stuff? Oh, you know I do. Well, good, because that's what we talk about every week on the Cult of Domesticity podcast, so I'm glad that you enjoy it. Oh, I probably should have known that. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Tell them where to find us. Well, we're available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, and other fun places. New episodes come out pretty much every Thursday. So be there or be square. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, remember me? I am happy to let you know that Relic's January hiatus is almost over. I just know that everyone has been waiting with bated breath to see what mysteries I'll be covering as we head into the dark of winter. It's been over a year and a half since I first dug real deep into that niche and launched a podcast that covers all of my favorite subjects, history, unsolved mysteries, crime, and adventure. I have been truly humbled by all of the kind words and reviews from listeners and other podcasters, and I've had an amazing time bringing on special guests from other shows. When I started season one, I didn't have any real narrative arc in mind. It's hard to group topics together without coming off as tedious, or even worse, failing to mix things up a bit episode by episode. But as I've been working on scripts and reflecting on past episodes, a very obvious theme has slowly begun to emerge. Whether subconscious or not, Season 1's focus has revolved around lost artifacts that went missing due to the cruelty and hubris of foolish kings, malicious dictators, and otherwise tyrannical individuals whose greed and treachery caused humankind to lose some of our most valuable artifacts. This began, in earnest, with the vanishing of the Amber Room during World War II. In fact, Adolf Hitler and the Nazis are largely to blame for a quarter of the missing artifacts I've mentioned thus far, including the Ghent altarpiece of Belgium. Then we have characters such as King John, one of the most hated rulers in British history, and scoundrels like Francisco Pizarro, who were content to watch entire civilizations burnt for the want of gold. There are also some more morally gray characters, like the first emperor of China and Thomas II, a king and a thief respectively, who both had pure intentions that, nevertheless, resulted in bloodshed and mayhem. Beyond that, we have had scheming male relatives trying to undermine a matrilineal dynasty, man's callous destruction of the environment for profit, and frequently misunderstood and somewhat misguided individuals who lost both their fortunes and their lives from being crushed under the heel of those in power. So many of the artifacts Relic has covered were either brought about or lost because of colonization genocide, or subjugation. But if this season had to have one big bad, it would probably be that admittedly cliche and obvious choice. There's a reason we call megalomaniacal people Nazis, or if we're going to go straight for Godwin's law, Hitler. Throwing those kinds of words around these days is not something anybody should take lightly especially because it often feels like society has relegated the Third Reich to a cartoonish evil that no longer exists, when in fact their spiritual successors are still very much active to this day. Just turn on the news. It's hardly fake. 
But the multitudes of wartime atrocities Hitler committed are not solely why I chose to focus on the Nazis for the last half of season one. And Japan is also going to come in too, by the way. In particular, I chose to focus on Hitler's acquisition of artifacts, mostly because it's relevant to the content of this podcast, for one, and also because his intentions were so super villainous, even for him. And I'm not talking about something like Hitler's search for the Ark of the Covenant, per se, though something like this did actually happen, and we will cover that in our final episode. There's a little bit of sizzle for you. Without tipping too far into... Hellboy and Indiana Jones territory, there is plenty of evidence that Hitler did believe in the supernatural, courted Nazi mysticism, and actively tried to get his hands on certain artifacts of purported enchantment, and in some cases tried to seek out and destroy artifacts that would work against his power. And I fully intend to get weird with these topics as this season reaches its conclusion, because let's be real, this is the content I know you want, and more importantly, This is the content I know I want. So yes, Adolf Hitler had more all-encompassing intentions when it came to acquiring objects of power and renown. Specifically, he wanted to create the world's largest museum and then consolidate all of humankind's priceless works of art, culture, and religion, which would be forcibly removed from the guardianship of their people. There's an old history joke that Adolf Hitler would never have become the great dictator we know him as if he'd just been accepted into art school. This is a subject that's up for debate, but it tells us that Hitler wasn't a boorish slob with delusions of grandeur. Hitler celebrated and revered art, obviously German and Teutonic art above all. And Hitler's plans for his great museum began in his sketchbook even before really taking over as supreme leader of the German people, Hitler was already planning which famous works would hang in these specifically designated galleries, having fallen in love with the ancient historical museums he'd visited in allied Italy. At first, a good majority of these paintings were within German territory. So, from an ethical standpoint, unless you stand for private galleries, there was nothing intrinsically evil about consolidating his own country's works of art in a centralized location for all of the German public to view. But give it a minute. As Hitler's plans for his great museum continued to unfold, he worried that the already amazing museums of Berlin would perhaps diminish the value of an institution like the one he envisioned, and so he decided he would break ground in his hometown of Linz in Austria. Which, fun fact, he also intended to turn into the new capital of the Austrian annex of the Reich, having held a grudge against the city of Vienna for failing to recognize his staggering genius as an artist in his formative years. Also, the city was far too Jewish for his tastes. Hitler, not just anti-Semitic, but petty as well. And I may have mentioned this in the Amber Room episode, but Hitler could just not shut up about this damn museum. According to one of his secretaries, who I think was Martin Bormann, he shows up in the next episode, by the way, Hitler would never fail to bring up the subject of the Führer Museum, as it was called, during his tea time, forcing his captive audience to listen in on how he would furnish the galleries, where he would place the paintings, to where he would put the gift shop with original Hitler memorabilia. Okay, so that last part I may have invented myself. The Führer Museum was just one of many architectural facelifts Hitler wanted to give the capitals of what would become the extension of the Greater Nazi Reich. 
If any of you listeners are fans of The Man in the High Castle on Amazon, please sponsor me, by the way, you may have noticed one of these imagined buildings in season two, the Vauxhall, with its stadium-sized rotunda and capacity to fit over 150,000 people, all of them probably very blonde. Basically, think that, but a museum, and you have a good idea on what Hitler was going for here. One anecdote has Hitler bothering the architect of the Führer Museum endeavor to repeatedly finish a scale model of the museum. On February 9th, 1945, the model was revealed and Hitler was said to have been entranced by what he saw. Hitler would even visit the model twice a day in the following weeks, even as the tides of war turned against him. The Führer actually had the replica moved into his bunker during the end of the war and he was said to have spent his final days with a chair pulled up in front of it, in total silence, examining it obsessively. Close associates who survived Hitler attest to the fact that the museum model served as his mental retreat when he realized his dream would never come to fruition. Which, thank God, right? When I think of the concept of a world museum, I'm reminded of one of my favorite sci-fi shows, and an inspiration for this podcast, Warehouse 13. The premise of Warehouse 13 is that all of history's enchanted or otherwise powerful artifacts, kind of like the ones you'd see being wheeled into an endless hall of crates at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, are centralized in a massive warehouse in the middle of the South Dakota wastelands. So I'm thinking something like that, but in Nazi Germany, and you have the Fear Museum. And now you understand why I feel like this was such a super villainous plot. And mostly because a good majority of the artwork planned for the museum had been stolen from the Jews of Austria, the citizens of occupied France, and any other people unlucky enough to fall under control of the Third Reich. This artwork was kept in private reserves, banks, and estates under Hitler's direct control. But towards the end of the war, as the Nazis became desperate, artwork was moved literally underground to bunkers and cave systems out in the German countryside. Even at death's door, Hitler coveted his stolen artwork so much that he would have had it burned and buried, then see it fall back into the hands of its original ownership. And this, my friends, is what leads us into our next episode. When Relic returns in a few weeks, we will find out what may have befallen those stolen artifacts, as well as other treasures lost during World War II. And we will also examine the stories behind the brave men and women who fought and continue to fight for their safe return. The adventure continues. <laughs>